Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for this day, for this break from the rains, opportunity to see the sun, Lord, and this, this place to worship you. Lord, thank you for, for the security you provide for us, Lord God, in life. In the midst of the storms and turmoil of this world, Lord, you are a refuge and an ever-present uh, strength and bulwark, Lord. We pray that you would reveal yourself in the midst of this service today. Lord, we pray that you would comfort our hearts, that you would ease our pains, that you would uh, speak against our fears, Lord God, and that you would help us to find faith and trust in you and to grow closer to one another as the body of Christ here. We pray that you would speak, Lord God. Give me your words and fill us all with your word that we might be bearers of your, of your message in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, you know, stories sometimes define a culture, a nation, a family, or a people. Uh, you know, there's those stories we tell every time we gather as a family at Christmas or Easter. Um, those family gatherings, those stories that, that bring us together and define who we are. As a church, we do this as well, and one of those stories that serves to define the practical nature of our faith is the one that we are um, confronted with in our gospel passage for today, the story of the prodigal son. Now, in this story, our context is very important, and our passage begins with this clear introduction. All the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. The scribes and Pharisees are complaining about Jesus' compassion and his willingness to associate with all types of people. Doesn't he know how bad they have been? Surely he understands how wrong it is to spend time with them. I mean, what did you tell your, your children about making friends? Did you want them to make friends with all the wrong kinds of people? Make friends with those people who are doing bad things because they'll help you out. No, not at all, right? You wanted your, friends to, your kids to make friends with good people, right? People who would influence them positively and who they could um, encourage as well. Doesn't Jesus know that? Didn't his parents tell him? that he should be hanging out with the right kind of people. But here he is with the sinners and the tax collectors. Now, instead of responding to their doubts directly, he tells them a story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now, when does property division typically take place? Upon death, right? Uh, and so, but the son wants it right now. Right? That's more convenient. I mean, could you imagine what this would be like for the father? I assume none of you did this, right? None of you went to your father and said, can we just pretend you're dead now? And can I have my share of your property? No, it's horrible. Could you imagine what it would be like for the father to hear that? What kind of rejection? Um, 
what kind of lack of love or compassion it reveals. What an insult to his very existence. Not to mention it would be a massive pain in the neck as he would need to liquidate assets in order to give them to his son. But the father does it, the passage tells us. So he divided his property between them. That means that both of the sons got their portions. Uh, This situation doesn't last long, though, because a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his property in dissolute living. We don't know what the younger son inheritance was, but it goes quickly. The way and with the goes quickly with the wild way that he lives his life. Having come from privilege and opportunity, he suddenly has a new feeling burning in his gut. Hunger. He's probably not felt that before in the same way that he does now. He is not experiencing the needs that we all experience, the basic ones, but love like love or compassion or things like that, but the base need of hunger. He feels like he's going to die. He is struggling. And he no longer has the power of his resources to shield him from the cruelty of the world, and he starts to fall apart. The passage tells us, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Is this what a good Jewish boy should be doing, feeding the pigs? No, not at all. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. So his self-made circumstances in life have brought him to a place where he is feeding pigs. And not only is he feeding the pigs, but he's yearning to eat what the pigs are eating. But nobody's given him anything. Nobody is willing to help him. He wants to eat the pig's food But the people who are overseeing him see the pigs as more valuable than he is. And so they won't share with him. The story continues. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. The younger son realizes he's got other options. He doesn't need to starve to death here in this foreign land where people don't care for him, where they're willing to watch him starve. Instead, he can go home. And he can work for his father as a hired hand. He can make an honest living that way. And he can have bread on the table because he's seen his father is fair. And his father cares for the people who work for him. And they don't have the need that he is feeling right now. That need of hunger. Sure, he would have to swallow his pride and admit his mistakes. But it sure beats starving to death, right? So he sets off his apology on his tongue, ready to flow out as he begs to be let back in. But his plan is interrupted 
by an unexpected occurrence. While he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. The father has been waiting for his son. He has been hoping he would return. He has been anticipating a reunion. The son begins to launch into his apology, but his father cuts him off partway through. We don't get the whole apology. He gets halfway through it, and his father's already ordering one of the slaves to quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. So why does Jesus dine with sinners? Why does he talk to them and care about them? Because he's like the Father. He wants to see them come home. And he's glad when they do. That's why. That's why. And why does he tell this story to them? Well, one reason is because the tax collectors and sinners are like the younger son, and he wants them to know how much they are loved, how glad he is to see them, how God has eagerly been anticipating their return. He wants them to know this and understand it. My guess is they probably already know it on some level. They have felt it in how Jesus has seen them and has made them feel like people how he's made them feel whole and welcome and forgiven. Because they didn't get that from other people, but they've seen it in Christ. Now, the second reason I believe he tells this story is because of the group that was grumbling, the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember, in this story, there's a grumbler, too, the older son, the one who never left, the one who always did the right thing, right? He's not happy at all for how the father is behaving. And because of his displeasure, he excludes himself from the celebration. He misses out on the joy. Why would the father be so profligate with his mercy? Why would he let in this miserable younger son? Is he stupid? Doesn't he know that the son is just going to fleece him again? Sometime later, when this younger son gets footloose and fancy-free again, he's going to take the father's property and squander it again, and then come running back, expecting mercy. Doesn't he know that this younger son has just wasted all that he had been entrusted with, and everyone's been impoverished by his behavior? Doesn't the father know and understand that? We don't get an answer. We don't get an answer. But the father, he tries to reach out to him too, to this older brother. But this older brother is not willing to hear his reasoning. He's angry. And he says, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you. Remember when the younger son was in that foreign land and working and feeding the pigs? That was like servitude. And for the older brother, 
being at home has been like servitude as well. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The father reasons with him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours, quite literally in this context. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Just like the Pharisees and the scribes, the older son does not realize that God is merciful, not only to sinners, but to him as well. Despite being right at home, This older son has run away too. He might not be in a distant land, but he is outside looking in. This story is central to our understanding of how God works. It gives us a very graphic and profound understanding of the grace and mercy of God. And that's important. But the story is important also Because this story is our story, too. We know what it is to run away from God. We know what it is to exclude ourselves from the party out of our self-righteous anger. We know what that is. When I was 13, I ran away from the Lord. I ran away. I didn't want to have anything to do with the church, anything to do with him. I didn't believe in him. And I took my inheritance from God and I squandered it, wasted it in all kinds of ways. But when I returned to him at 17, he was there waiting for me, watching, ready to run out and embrace me. Since that time, I've run away in so many other ways. Every day there's some struggle of running away or excluding myself from the party over God's grace to other people. How about you? What's your experience of your relationship with God? Are you like the older son or the younger? The beautiful thing about this parable is it shows us the mercy and love of God, that he is willing and desirous to welcome us back and to embrace us and to celebrate at our return. Thanks be to God we have a a Lord who welcomes back the tax collectors and the sinners and people like us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your love and mercy. Thank you for the grace you have poured out upon us. Lord, thank you for this parable of the prodigal son and what it shows us about who you are and what it shows us about your Son, Jesus Christ's plan in this world. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to come back to you. Help us to always return home. Lord, and give us soft hearts, knowing that we are people who who run away as well. 
who leave and waste our gifts, Lord, in a foreign land. Help us to remember that so that when others come to you, we can respond to them with joy so that we can be like the other people in the Father's house who were in there celebrating with that younger son, thankful for his return. Lord, and help us. Help us to be people of welcome, people of rejoicing. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.